Hey everyone, welcome to Conversation Peace with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where my guests and I discuss what piece or part of the conversation we aren't talking about, but should be. Special shout out to all my returning listeners and a high five and hello to everyone joining us for the very first time. Thank you so much. If you're listening to this on release day, it is the last day of May, which is also Asian Pacific American Heritage Month or APAM. And as part of the celebration here on this show, we've aired nine conversations throughout the month with friends and people that I greatly admire in the community and discuss the missing pieces of the Asian American conversation. And today I am really excited because I'm bringing you a very special 10th conversation to the series. And we're gonna start that right now. My guest today is a multidisciplinary, creative community builder and public speaker with a background in marketing, broadcast television, live event production and education. In 2021, she was named a finalist in BC Business Magazine's Women of the Year Awards in the community builder category. And in 2019, she delivered a TEDx talk about navigating cultural expectations and a cup of tea and why she started Cold Tea Collective. It is an honor and a privilege for me to welcome Natasha Jung to the show. Hey, Natasha, how are you doing today? Hey, Patrick, uh, happy APAM, or um, as we in Canada call it, Asian Heritage Month. So slightly different across the border, yes. um, but ultimately kind of the same spirit of, you know, celebrating, recognizing and looking to the future for the Asian diaspora uh, in, in in the country, in, in the region. And so um, firstly, I just want to say, uh, thank you so much for this wonderful series that you've put together. It's been such a pleasure listening to all the different episodes. Um, I guess we're kind of like halfway through the season now at this time of recording this. And um, I got to say, like the the way that you've chosen your guests, the way that you've structured the podcast um, is is just been such a pleasure to listen to. So thanks for for doing all that heavy lifting. I really, really appreciate that. Um Honestly, I can't even say how much I appreciate it. To give listeners a little background, Natasha and I met for the very first time in Vegas for the Asian Hustle Network Uplifted Conference, and we really connected right away. And this was a week before May started, so a week before the APAM Conversations was launching. And I, for whatever reason, had the audacity to ask, hey, do you think there would be any room for us to potentially partner or work together to amplify this series? And despite only having met me 24 hours ago, uh, Natasha said, hours. yeah, not even 12 hours, maybe. Um, it was pro- probably about 12 hours. Yeah, yeah. But Natasha said, let's figure something out. Let's see if this is something that we can do. And incredibly, the alignment was there. And Natasha and Cold Tea Collective have stepped in and helped to really spread the message of this series and amplify the show itself in general. So reciprocating that thanks right back to you for taking a chance on me and this new, very new show and the series and this concept and helping us spread the word. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I, I also have to um, add a little bit of uh, additional color to that. So we were at uh, a, a, the kind of an after hour social event, like very chill, like very, very few people um, and in a hotel room. Um, and it was one of those moments where I, I kind of, I have to pinch myself sometimes because, you know, being based in Vancouver, Canada, I'm just like, I, you know, follow all these awesome Asian American creators, like on Instagram and all that kind of stuff. And then to actually meet them in person, um, 
is just kind of mind blowing to me. It's almost like, oh my gosh, like a little celebrity sighting. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of how I felt when I saw you. I was just like, holy crap, is that Patrick Armstrong? I follow him <laughs> on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, yeah, and I have been following you uh, on LinkedIn um, and your story, uh, especially in sharing in your uh, Korean adoptee uh, experience uh, since 2021. Um, and that's kind of when I started to learn a little bit more about that um, that experience. Uh, still, still tons more to learn. And so... Um, yeah, it was just a really cool opportunity uh, to, I guess, like work together, the stars aligned. And I think really, if I may, what kind of, I guess, kind of made this possible is that, okay, a, you already did the work. Um, and certainly we're just, you know, Cool D Collective is here to help amplify that. But I think ultimately the, the message is in just incredible alignment. So I, you know, with that, your very clear description and vision for this podcast series is about finding the pieces of the conversation that are missing and highlighting those things that aren't talked about, but should be. And so that is very much what Cold Tea Collective is about. And so this is where I'll kind of go into explaining a little bit more about who we are, what we do kind of thing. Uh, So Cold Tea Collective is a media outlet for, by, and about the next generation of the Asian diaspora. Um, We particularly focus on the North American um, diaspora experience. And so um, with that, I mean, there's, you know, people often ask me like, what's, what's, what's with your name? What does it mean? Are you like talking about cold tea, like bubble tea, or that's what I call it in Vancouver. Um, or if I'm in the States, I'll transition uh, to calling it boba. Um, but no, that's, that's not it. I mean, sure that too. Um, but really, you know, if you think about what's being said, um, either in mainstream media or, you know, within, in different communities. Um, I think there's certainly a role and a place and importance in covering the hot gossip, hot topics, current events, um, things that are happening, um, in the now. Um, however, uh, with that, there is, there are other things that are going on across the community that, uh, people aren't talking about. So instead of calling the hot tea, the hot gossip, like what's the cold tea, right? Like what is, what are people not talking about, but should be. And so, I just want to say that there's really just a great alignment there. And I think you've certainly covered a lot of that in, in your topics uh, covered so far in this podcast series. I appreciate you sharing a little bit more of the background for Cold Tea. And I wondered if you could elaborate a little bit more on how you transitioned from or incorporated into your background as a marketer and what you were doing prior to starting mm-hmm. um, to tell these stories and what really pushed you into saying, oh, yes, this is 100% what I need to be doing. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting. I actually was on another podcast yesterday. And so that that host asked me a very, I love the way that you frame this question. And um, I'm going to use that as my framework to, to answer yours now. He asked me, um, what called you to this? I think... Mm. For a lot of my life, I had been trying to find my calling, but then I realize now, especially with that, the way that that particular question was framed is that our callings call us, right? What is calling us as opposed to what are we trying to find meaning in? And when it comes down to it, I think it really just, it's reflective of the, the thoughts, experiences, and feelings that we have that keep coming up throughout different phases of our lives. Um, for me, uh, my background, um, as you noted earlier, is in you know in marketing, media, PR, education. I've done like a whole bunch of random stuff, um, but ultimately, um, marketing and media communications has kind of um, been more of the consistent uh, thread throughout my career. Um, I started off my career uh, working in very very corporate marketing. So this is after my university education. I attended Simon Fraser University uh, in 
Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, so <laughs> just outside of Vancouver for those that, that haven't heard of it. And um, I started communications there. And um, my first job out of university, I was planning events for um, a, another uh, university in, in the region. And after that, jumped into very corporate marketing, B2B space, um, which I know you come from uh, as well, Patrick. And um, ended up in a role where I was just like completely unhappy, um, completely unhappy. Um, it was f- the first time in my life where I felt or experienced depression. Um, and there are a number of different factors which I can unpack afterwards. And I, I do talk about it in in the TEDx talk that, um, that I did in 2019. But um, ultimately, I was working in this job um, because I felt like, okay, I'm X number of years in my, into my career now uh, as a marketer. I need to work my way up. Um, ended up in this job, like the highest like amount of money that I'd ever received in any job you know, prior to that, or I guess at that point in my career. Um, Job title was fancy. It was cool. It was a tech company. I got to fly across Canada, the U.S. to to do um, to do my job, and it was pretty cool. Um, but behind that, I was, you know, always the first one in the office, the last one out, um, but never really feeling like I was being productive. Um, mm. I just there was no light behind my eyes anymore. No life sure. uh, behind my eyes. My eyes either, and. Um, Things were actually really hard for me. Things that used to be really easy for me became really hard. And I remember saying to my my boss at that time, like, I actually feel like I'm not as smart as I used to be. Like, my brain isn't working the way that I thought it should or it did previously. And so I, something was wrong. Uh, eventually, I got to the place where I would find myself, like, crying in the washroom mm-hmm. um, during my lunch breaks. Uh, and just, it was than hiding out in the the first aid room like which is essentially a nap room for anyone's not that's not feeling well um yeah yeah and so i just told myself okay you know what like i'm just gonna wait it out for a year because like if i try to find another job and they see that i was only at this job for like x number of months it's gonna look really bad on my resume and of course like these are the kind of certain concerns that were happening at that time um but then a decision was made for me um i was fired from my job i was fired because i wasn't performing I wasn't performing because I was depressed. I was depressed because I wasn't working in line with my values. Um, mm. And now, even like six, seven years later, I realized also that um, actually within the last year, I had undiagnosed ADHD for my entire life. And so that certainly contributed to those those challenges in, in that particular workplace and in that job. Um, and so, you know, you asked like, how did you know, Cold Tea Collective become a thing? Um, Instead of me going out there and trying to find uh, some other like marketing job, you know, after I'd gotten fired, um, I decided to just take some time for myself to figure out what I really wanted in life and what I wanted to do as a career. And, you know, one of the things that kept calling me was uh, the entertainment and media space. And so um, even before, you know, if in high school and like as a youth, like even before I started going to university, I was very much into the entertainment arts. I wanted to be a much music VJ, which is, I guess, the Canadian equivalent to MTV Canada. Right out of, um, right out of high school, uh, I ended up interning at MTV Canada when it was based in Vancouver, my hometown. Amazing. And 
Yeah, it was great. And I was able to do that because I had experience in producing a singing competition for high school students, like in the district that I went to school in. And so I had that experience to be on stage, performing, hosting, producing live events, live, live concert productions, that kind of thing. And so it just made sense to me at that time. But I guess I kind of went too far down the, like the corporate marketing PR columns path and I really lost sight of that. And so, mm. um, I, I decided to take a chance on this teenage dream of mine to see, you know, maybe media, you know, me, media is in a very different stage um, or space at that time. And at, I think at that time it was 2016. And so um, just, just about 10 years since I had graduated from high school and um, decided to give a chance uh, for that teenage dream of mine to produce and host. Uh, so I ended up interning at a local community uh, TV station, uh, producing and hosting. And one of the events that I covered was a local Asian film festival, um, Vancouver Asian Film Festival. A uh, shout out to them. Um, Cold Tea Collective is, is a media partner and sponsor for the last number of years. Um, and they do incredible work. And so um yeah, like at this at this event, like I haven't really thought of too much about my Asian identity other than, you know, being a part of like an Asian student club in university. Uh, but what I saw on screen at this particular event that I was covering was honestly, I wasn't expecting to see it was people that looked like me and actually literally people I knew because it was um, filmmakers that I knew um, mm. on a friendship level um, sharing these stories, these slice of life stories that really could could be any of us, right? Um, but in particular, they spoke so much to the nuances of what it was meant or what it was like to be an Asian Canadian person uh, at that time. And so I just felt a deeply visceral response that I'd never felt before. And I think that was kind of the first time that I felt that sense of connection to myself, my soul, my heart, uh, my feelings uh, through, throughout that depressive state in, in my life. And so... Um, it just really meant a lot to me. And I think that really gave me the courage to share my own story about how I went through depression. Um, was still going through it, trying to figure out my career. And, um, I ended up sharing that in a really long, like Facebook post. Uh, people commented on it, DM'd me saying, Oh my gosh, thank you so much for sharing this story, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it really just kind of opened up my mind to the power of personal storytelling in particular. Mm. And so what I ended up doing is, you know, shared a little bit more about myself, my personal journey and invited others to do the same. Eventually we created you know, Culty Collective, a website, um, and we've been running for about six, seven years. I should probably figure out that number because I don't have like, <laughs> you know, like when things happen organically, I don't actually, yes. you don't know what the actual founding date is. Um, so, yeah. And I mean, since then we've. You know, I mean, it's different now because of more remote work and such, but um, we've grown a team across Canada and the U.S. for the last number of years. Um, at one point, we had about 30 people like creating content, writing, volunteering with us. It was pretty incredible. And um, we've since then like scaled down. But, um, you know, fast forward to kind of where we are today and having this conversation, it was in October where I actually had the opportunity to quit my full-time job that I just went back to after um, about a year and a half on maternity leave uh, because we get longer maternity leaves here in Canada. Um, and I'd only been back for about four and a half, maybe five months. And then just the opportunity to, uh, came to leave um, because um, there's a, a paid job that Cold D Collective was uh, fortunate to be able to do. And that was kind of, I just kind of took that as my sign to take the leap and really bet on myself, bet on this industry, um, and grow something for the community. I really appreciate you sharing all of that background and giving that additional context of your journey to not only 
your own understanding and like connection to storytelling, but also kind of how this collective storytelling has come to create cold tea and what it is today. Um, I think that something that's just really incredible to me is the fact that you've been telling these stories for now seven years. We're going to call it seven. I'm going to give you the extra seven and we're going to push it as much as possible. You've been doing this (laughs) for a while. And I think that's something that I've been talking about a lot recently is just like recognizing people who have been in the spaces of storytelling and who have been doing things like this for longer than the three years that I've been doing it. And sometimes I think it gets lost in the shuffle that, oh, there have been people doing this for, for at 60, 70, 80 years now who have, been, who have been talking about this to lay the foundation for us to be able to do so. Sam, so, because you've been doing this for, you know, coming up on a decade, um, and you've been able to uncover a lot of different nuances within this conversation, the North American Asian conversation specifically, you know, that's, I think, where the alignment is for the series is, you know, what kind of things are we missing from that? What sort of conversations, what sort of stories or experiences have you uncovered over the last six, seven years that really surprised you as to be like, oh, this is something I had no idea was happening. And now you've been able to kind of bring that to light. Yeah, I mean, um, great way to, to bring it back to the theme of of the podcast. Um, I think you actually hit upon it there. And I, I was thinking about this in advance. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Patrick has had so many um wonderful guests. I'm like, what else do I have to add to the conversation? But <laughs> I think, um, yeah, so, so a couple of things I was thinking about this. Um, you're right, like there have been, you know, organizations, individuals that have just been sharing their story and creating space for conversations that are often overlooked or um, underrepresented um, for for a long time now. And so um, I think beyond that, though, I think what we don't talk about enough is how actually like hard it is to a I mean start something um and b to sustain it in a way that mm. not going to be depleting um at, on the individual on the collective as a team and also continues to provide value um as the community and our capacity to do whatever it is we're doing um evolves and so um you know I just it's just been an incredible um you know last few few weeks uh, specifically i say that because i've had the opportunity to you know meet folks such as yourself at the asian hustle network conference um i was in la last week and i'll be there again next week for for another conference so uh, it, a lot of travel was crazy <laughs> but, yeah, i mean like i mean talking to people about like you know how did you get started you know why yeah why did you start this thing and a lot of it comes from you know, that very, you know, personal connection, um, personal experience to something that's happened, like something um, pivotal or monumental that's happened in that person's life. And they just, ultimately, they're just trying to take control of their own narratives, whether whether mm-hmm. it be through media um, or social media, um, building community events, um, leading some sort of movement. Um, it is freaking hard, though. I got to tell you, I've talked to so many people like, I don't know how I'm going to continue doing this. I'm only one person. I don't know if I'm going to sustain this. I don't know when my next paycheck is coming through. Um, And a lot of people work on on these types of ventures or projects um, off the side of their desks. Right. And so, I mean, I certainly did for a really long time. And I know how fortunate I am to be able to work on it full time. And but with that, I can't just like, okay, I'm just working now. You know, I have to continue to build. I have to build pipeline. I have to. um, there's a sales component to it, right? That people also right. don't talk 
problem. There's that money side of it too. Like how do you actually sustain this, but also recognizing that um, the community needs will evolve as well. Right. Um, so it's really just about being tapped into that and not having an ego about like, oh, things have to be this way. Because certainly I think a lot of us have probably come across folks um, in our respective careers. Like if you're a listener, like even if you have, if you're not even in the media space, right. Um, and really just trying to find the people, the organizations, the collaborators that will support you on this journey, um, even if it is a little bit tangential or kind of um, adjacent to what you're, you directly are doing. Um, it's, it's freaking hard. Um, so I just got to say, you know, shout out to anybody that has had the courage to to put their heart out there to actually start something. Starting is one thing. As I said, it's another thing to continue on on that path but also be able to to pivot as as needed i hope that answers a hundred a hundred percent like it is freaking hard like that's the best way to describe this type of venture like i'm just recently in the last six months started that same thing too you know had the privilege and fortunate opportunity to kind of step away from my corporate job and to pursue this full time and to build sustainability is it's difficult because something that I feel like I've mentioned it in a few of these conversations, but something I've been talking about again, another thing that I've been talking about a lot recently is that particularly in the adoptee community, but even in the Asian, um, Asian diasporic communities, like there aren't many models of people who are successful within capitalistic systems who then, who then don't exploit or take advantage of the communities that they come from and find ways to not only build sustainable business for themselves and their families, but also to give back and uplift and empower their community. Like there are not very many models mm -hmm. of that. And I learned that from Jerry Wan, watching him operate in the storytelling space and not only build a business that could help sustain him, but also and his family, but also give back to the community, give opportunities to someone like myself who has no idea what they're doing and is trying to find their way in this space. And to know that it's not exploitative or transactional in any way, but it's mm -hmm. out of like, it's out of a mindset of abundance. And I think that's another mm -hmm. thing we've touched on in these conversations is this mindset of scarcity that a lot of oppressive systems will make us feel like there's not enough to go around. Like, particularly in the media space, it feels like there can only be like a CNN or an ESPN or whatever. And even all those companies are probably owned by the same company uh, it's true. at yeah. some point. <laughs> but it's like that makes us feel like there's only so much ground that we can take up when at the end of the day, there's probably literally infinite amount of space for us. There's more than enough for everyone to do it. But we haven't watched enough people do those things and, and model that type of behavior for us, I think. I don't know. You're, is that you're speaking my language, Patrick? Um, I, I absolutely agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, and yeah, shout out to Jerry Wan. I mean, he was so gracious with his time in one of my recent trips a couple months ago and just kind of seeing um what he's been doing to build this community and uh, to build up a community of, of creators. But also, I think um, he's just got a very clear. Uh, audience, um, and he knows how mm. to uh, activate them. Um, and with that too, I mean, same thing, like, I think ultimately, like a lot of people that I've met over the last few weeks, over the last few years, and has have recently just reconnected with, um, it's that mindset of shifting into the space of abundance and making sure that yes, like balancing out what will benefit 
us as individual leaders and our families. Like I have a, I have a young family myself, and but also giving back and creating space for other people while not being exploitative. Um, and I, so I mean, just a little bit of like the business side of things here for Cold Tea Collective. I mean, ultimately we're, we're a media outlet, right? And so um, we try to do our best to uh, be able to tell these stories of the diaspora that people should know. Um, but might not necessarily hear about. Uh, and that's why it, I, for me, like in the beginning, like I felt so bad because not felt bad, but, you know, let's just say a small business wants to promote um, themselves on cold tea. I'll tell them like, okay, well, this is because you're a business. We have to like charge you. These are our, right. our rates. And, you know, I would say 95% of the time I send them my rates and like crickets, like they ghost me, which is fair. Right. And I mean, that being said, like it's that balance of, us not being in the position to provide that free service or that labor um, right. just yet, right? And so what we've kind of been doing and what my approach um, is, is to work with the organizations that do have the funding and that do have the resources to be able to support, amplify uh, the work of and uplift and empower. I know these all sound like very similar words, but they're actually very different if you take a moment to break them down. But um, those that might just be starting out or those yeah. that might not have those resources. And that with that, I think it's, it becomes, it can become a very mutually beneficial arrangement. And so that's kind of what I'm all about. Like, yes, abundance, but also mutually beneficial. Like, does this make sense like, all around? Like, am I working in line with my values to ensure that community care? And am I working in line with my values to ensure that everybody wins? I just want to see everybody win. A hundred percent. And it's like, if it doesn't align, the best part about community and the beautiful thing about it is that we probably know other people where maybe that alignment is a little bit more clear or a little bit more in line, I guess, more aligned, I guess. Um, and those connections can happen. And so, like, there's no reason for us to feel like they're like if it doesn't work out this one time, like it can't work out in the future. Like the best part about community is that like, you're not always working with the same people. And I think that's yes. what yeah. I came away from. That's what I've, that's one of been one of my biggest takeaways of may this particular may and this particular APAM so far, um, or Asian heritage month so far has been just that there are so many like next level connections that can be made that it's not like I always have to be working with this same person or I always have to think I have to rely on X in order to get to Y or Z. It's like, oh, no, there are many, many more people out here who have share a same vision or share that same passion or compassion for this type of storytelling or whatever it might be that I'm looking to do mm -hmm. and that we can do those things together. For sure. I, I do want to, uh, you know, I do want to uh, kind of rewind a little bit here. So, um, kind of following up with what you just said about, you know, making sure that you not making sure, but I mean, I think ultimately we do have to diversify who we partner with, um, just to right. really grow and figure out like who's got the right resources at the right time for the, what we want to do and such, and who's going to, uh, collaborate with us on uh, bringing a, a shared vision to life. But I think at the same time, um, going back to what you said earlier around how we, a lot of us are just doing this for the first time and we don't have those models. And so whether it be um, a, creating some sort of media platform, media channel, um, personal brand, professional brand, what have you, or maybe it's um, like 
you know, doing just like doing something for the first time, like in within your own family, or maybe you're the first mm. one to get a doctorate's like degree. Uh, maybe you're the first one to, you know, if you're a cycle breaker, maybe you're the first one to go to therapy and like talk about it, like in your family, right? <laughs> um, it's yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of lot of uh, stories like that 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 have been coming, especially with me also being mental health awareness uh, month. Yeah, uh, layered. I'm like, of course they they work together. They're layered on top of each other, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard being the first. Um, but I think with being the first, there's also great opportunity to ensure that we are not the last. Um, recently, uh, actually on May 1st, um, the very start of, of APAM and Asian Her- uh, Heritage Month, um, I had a chance to uh, facilitate a fireside chat with the very first Asian, uh, specifically a Chinese-Canadian mayor of Vancouver. Um, and if you know anything about Vancouver, um, we are... Uh, known for our Asian population and, you know, across, you know, different waves of migration, um, lots of different, um, uh, you know, hailing from different regions and, and mm-hmm. Asia and all that and different ethnicities and, and languages and all that too. Um, but the fact that, you know, he was elected in 2022 and is the very first Asian mayor of Vancouver, just mind blowing. Right. And so one of the questions that came up from the audience on that event was, do you feel pressure to perform because you are the first. Um, and how does that impact you on the date on the daily and when you're trying to get work done? And so great question. But yeah, like whether <laughs> you are, um, you know, in politics or like in a leadership position, or even just like the first one to do something in your family, it's it can be hard. Um, but just know that being a cycle breaker is not meant to be easy. And if you if there's something that calls you to being that cycle breaker, then you should do it. Um, and, you know, hopefully you can garner the support that you need throughout that. And also just take care of yourself uh, while doing that too, because I think there's a, the tendency for us to, you know, if we believe in something so much and, you know, something just really, really speaks to us, um, we can just give it our all and then not realize like, oh shit, this is like actually killing me right now. Um, so we have to set boundaries. Right. Well, well when we do, when you step into spaces like this and you realize like, oh, there's a specific month where business is going to be booming for lack of a better metaphor. Um, and you know, you're going to be busy. It's like, like you said, you know, that you mentioned like, yeah, I don't know where my next paycheck's coming from. And so, you know, like in May, it's like, okay, I want to go chase, you know, whatever it is I can chase. And sometimes it's hard to set that boundary. How are you setting boundaries for yourself? How are you taking care of self-care? How do you practice that while running a media company that specifically focuses on Asian stories and highlighting Asian voices? How do you find the time to rest, recharge and get ready to kind of go after all these different things you have going on? Yeah, um, I have to say, if you asked me this a year ago, I wouldn't be able to give you any sort of answer. Um, and I'll tell you why. It's because, um, so just just to give you context as to what was happening last year. So my, my kid just turned two um, and so uh, uh, just a couple months ago. And now, if I were to look at last year, at that stage of my life, I was on maternity leave. So in Canada, you can have um, anywhere from like three months and then share with your partner or co-parent or whoever. And it can go all the way up to, um, like typically people take 12 months or 18 months. I took six, 16 and a half, um, mm. months of maternity leave. And so that sounds like, you know, a lot, especially, um, for my, um, my American, um, 
peers. Uh, that's a, a conversation for another time. Sure. Um, I think so. I think it'd be a good um, one too to have <laughs> to unpack. Yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. It's very, yeah, that's, that's a problem. Um, and during that time I was like, okay, I know I'm going to be very busy, you know, learning how to be a mom and all that. Um, and, but that being said, I think that was a really good time for me during that 16 and a half months off work, even though working as a full-time like parent was, was a lot of work. Um, I, I still kind of went for it. So by the time May came around, what was happening in May, it was literally everything everywhere all at once for me. I was cr like, it just, it was too much. Okay. And I know that now, um, what, what we did is, um, we released a docu-series, a four-part docu-series on, it was called Making It, um, it's available on our YouTube and such. And it focused on highlighting, um, for Asian Canadians doing incredible things for their community while also trying to make it for themselves. And mm. so we released that docuseries, had a screening party, launched a fundraising campaign, like started selling like these, these totes that you see in this background, in the background here, um, celebrating community. Um, and I did like a record number of speaking engagements that month as well. Uh, and by the end of it, I completely burnt out. It was the worst. I'm I'm very prone to bur burnout, and it's very much a common thing for folks with ADHD. Um, but because I was a undiagnosed at that time, b um, just did way too much for even someone that's neurotypical and can do a lot of things um, all at once. Uh, <laughs> it was just too much. I, I burnt out to the point where all I could do for three days was wake up, drive my kid to school like drop them off at daycare and come back and sleep for a couple hours and go back and pick them up again. It just, it was too much. And so yeah. if I take a look at uh, my life since then, um, you know, going back to, to work, you know, shortly after, like literally just two weeks after that burnout stage, I was very weary of burnout um, because I know the impact that it could possibly have on not just me, but you know, on my family. Right. I mean, if I'm burnt out, if I can't do anything and I'm just lying in bed, I, I can't, do anything. Um, I'm not useful to anybody. Right. And yeah. so, um, and not even to myself. And so, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I'm honestly so grateful that the opportunity to, to quit my job, uh, came around because, um, I, I would have either have had to go on health leave, mental health leave. It was just too much. And I wasn't even really working on anything on cold tea, like while I went back to work, cause I knew it was going to be hard mm. to transition back as well. So, um, once again, I just feel very fortunate to have been able to do that. And I know that I'm speaking very much from a place of privilege to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, but going back to your original question of how do I balance <laughs> that? Um, I, you know, since then I've, I've been on ADHD medication for almost a year. I've been going to therapy um, and more recently started to incorporate, um, you know, lifestyle changes such as, you know, exercise get at least twice a week, um, either yoga or high intensity interval training or dance classes actually have okay. been really wonderful for me because I used to do competitive hip hop, like when I was a teenager and then, so okay. this is, but like the dance classes are just grooving. It's just like music and just like moving to it and just having that release in your body. I got to tell you for the first month, for the first four classes, I would cry every single time because it was okay. just such, such a release. Yeah. And I was just so happy to do something for myself, for my body, for my mental health. And, you know, all of that helps me manage my ADHD symptoms as well. And so I feel like, yeah, I'm just in a much better place. And how I kind of manage my time and set those boundaries now is, um, 
yeah, sometimes I have to work later. Like, you know, even for this podcast, I'm like, I'm so sorry, Patrick, I got to push you to tomorrow if that works for you, because yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just had to do things. Right. And so that being said, like working for myself has also good, given me the flexibility to be able to, you know, yesterday I picked up my, my kid early from school to take him to get some blood tests done. And so, mm. you know, eventually when I have more time, I want to be able to pick him up early so we can have a mother son day to go to the park right. or do something cute and fun like that. Right. Um, yeah. And so just knowing that, um, a, I also have a, a ton of privilege because of the support I have. My incredible husband is, is a wonderful support. And he's also, of course, got a full-time job too. Um, and my parents have been just instrumental in, in helping make all of this possible. But, um, I think what it comes down to is being able to discern, I don't do this very well yet, but I'm trying to work <laughs> on it is what's important versus what is urgent. Right. And there's so many things oh, okay. that can be urgent, yeah. but are they all important? No. Right. Um, and just trying to think ahead um, and also just practicing self-compassion. Uh, that's something that my therapist has helped me a lot with. Um, and I think, you know, I, this probably goes for a lot of uh, Asian folks, um, AAPI folks um, more broadly, I guess. And um, especially folks with, that are neurodiverse with invisible disabilities that, you know, people can't see and we end up having to mask Um we just get so down on ourselves and there's a lot of negative self-talk and, you know, practicing self-compassion is, it can be really challenging, but once you kind of get to that place where you can remind yourself of those things in the moment and remind yourself that you're only human, uh, it's a game changer. And so that's something, yeah, I'm trying to actively work on to protect myself and remind myself that I do need boundaries. <laughs> I really appreciate you sharing all that um, and being so vulnerable and open with your story and your journey through that, particularly with your ADHD diagnosis and like coming out of reaching, like reaching total burnout to now being at this point of like actively knowing the steps that you're taking to be able to practice being able to take care of yourself because you said it, you know, you can't, when you can't show up for yourself, it's really, really difficult to show up in the ways that you want to for the other people or the communities that you're doing the work for. And on top of, you know, May being specifically set aside for Asian heritage, like we, you specifically are telling these stories all year. It's not just in May. Like you're not just ramping up and doing only stuff in May. It's like yeah. you have to be able to show up in, in, in June, in July, August, all the way through because these stories don't just stop. You know, after yeah, we don't stop living our lives. We don't exactly. stop identifying as, you know, part like, you know, as Asian or, or, or what have you. Right. And so, um, yeah, exactly. Those, those experiences don't stop and they evolve and we continue to endure and, and, and all that and experience. And so, yeah, absolutely. So what's next then on the horizon for cold tea as we move forward out of May and we get ready to tell stories for the back half of 2023? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny because um, before when I was working a full time job and like was doing this off the side of my desk, I felt like I actually was more organized on it's probably because I'm a mom now. Um, but uh, and uh, you have to be at the at the drop of a hat, be ready to like tend to your kid or like you do whatever it needs to do. But um, I'm, I would say, you know, of course, I've got my kind of roadmap for the next year or a couple of years. But um, more broadly, I would say Cold Tea Collective, we really just want to show up for a community. And that's actually why, and I've shared this on Cold Tea Collective channels as well as my own individual channels, that um, that's why this May, I was like, screw it, we're not going to do this 
big campaign. We're just going to show up for a community. We're going to show up mm. where community is. We're going to amplify the work that everyone else is doing because it's it's not just about us this month, right? Or, or year round right. for that, that matter. Um, so yeah, I mean, more broadly this next year, where I guess the second half of the year, it's really just about um, showing up um, as a business. We need to basically, I don't know, I'm like, I guess, yeah, this, the best way to say it is try a bunch of different things out um, to really just develop some proofs of concept for different mm. things we want to be able to do so then we can kind of more operationalize and commercialize um, what we do as a business. I mean, I think most people only see the media side of things like, wow, you get to interview uh, Simu Liu, you get to go to the Golden Globes, all that kind of stuff, but the, you don't get paid to do that stuff, right? Like right. people don't pay you to do that. And the way that we're structured as an outlet is that we don't, um, we don't, um, make people pay to, to access our content. Um, surely right. there are some really fantastic publications that do. I think for us, it just, it just didn't make sense. Uh, we want to continue to make our content accessible. Plus we just, I mean, we don't publish enough uh, to be able to gate any of our content. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, what's, what, yeah, what makes this better than something else? Um, yeah. And just be able to, figure out the operational foundation, especially with me transitioning into this full-time role. I will say though, that it's been kind of, um, I've been kind of like grappling with this idea of what it means to be able to literally live this dream of being able to mm. focus on cold tea collective full-time. I've been kind of grappling with like, what does that really mean? I guess, yeah, I've always kind of put myself out there. Like, I'm the you know founder, like executive producer, executive editor, that kind of thing. But that's what I do. But ultimately having that shift to be able to be a CEO is something that's very new to me and it's really freaking scary. Um, but it's something that it's a role that I need to step into. And I think that if I could encourage, um, our listeners here, um, I, you know, especially those, you know, building community, building their own initiatives and all that, uh, it's very easy to slip into this space where you're literally just doing everything yourself. Um, and, there's, gosh, like I'll have to, I'll have to give you the link and you can put it in the show notes and stuff, but there's this, uh, Instagram thread that I saw recently about the difference between shifting between being a founder and a CEO. Right. Mm. And I think actually that mindset was a really good reset for me. And so just for, for those listening, watching, um, the founder is kind of like, okay, cool. Like great pride in, you know, starting this thing, but going back to what we were talking about earlier around, but how do you maintain it? How do you make this a sustainable, viable business so that not only can I create a livelihood for myself, but for others that, you know, want to be in journalism, in media, entertainment, what have you, how can I create that space, sustain that responsibly? Um, and that's where the CEO, um, role comes in. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's I, that's what I'm trying to do this next year, um, or the the rest of the year, and yeah, um, hopefully throw some cool events, do some fun campaigns, and tell some wonderful stories. I absolutely love that. Definitely going to need to get that article not only for the show notes but for myself because I feel like I'm going through that same transition, I suppose, or figuring out how to balance, you know, between the two because like this show is what I want to sustain, and like how do I build that up and and thinking about what it means to show up beyond just the passion and the energy for storytelling itself. And how can I continue to do that, you know, moving forward without necessarily having to go back um, to do a corporate thing, which if that were to yeah. happen, would be totally fine. But it's like, you know, yeah, there are I mean, ways to do this. So, mm -hmm. and Agreed. again, like 
just one more, just to reiterate one point that you brought up as well about feeling like you have to do it all yourself because I definitely feel that way. Like I'll design all my logos and like, I'll do all this stuff. And I'm like, is this good? And then I'm like, is there somebody else that I should be asking to help me with this? And then it's like, and then you go to like events like the Vegas event and it's like, Oh Mm -hmm. shit, there are a ton of people out here who would be like, Oh yeah, I do this stuff. And like, we would love to work together and do all of these things. And it's like, I'm not alone in this business. Like it's not, you're not just alone in your own story and the, in the community that you're trying to find, there is community out there for you, but also like on the business aspect of it, like there are people out there too, who are like, not just out here to to make a buck or to exploit you in into using their service or whatever it might be, but like genuinely people out here to like work together to collaborate, build up mm-hmm. and and do something new, something that mm-hmm. we haven't seen before. So if that's I really exciting and something I'm very excited about. Yeah. I'm so wonder- I'm so happy to hear that that you're starting to open your mind up with that because I think like okay it, I I will add a little bit more color to that too because I think it's actually really important especially if you are a creator founder transitioning to CEO what have you um, it's this um, mindset of so I mean okay um, realizing that you can get help right um, mm. and you can ask for help and I think that if you've if you are genuine in your pursuit of the your bigger picture mission to create something for community and you will attract community um, mm. on the sidelines, I've seen founders and leaders who are trying to, I guess, grow a movement or grow a community, um, but still end up working on their own um, because I think it's a, I think maybe there's a mindset shift needed. And I think what that is, is transitioning from a me to a we, right. um, you know, yes. I mean, of course, like very much like cool tea collective is me. It's based on my own values, but I didn't do this alone. Right. Like right. over the, like, you know, we'll go with seven, like seven years. We've worked with so many writers, so many editors, so many volunteers. Um, I mean, of course, like through the pandemic, we've kind of like streamlined that a little bit, but it's actually not a bad thing. Um, but throughout the whole thing, like, yes, I might be kind of the, uh, the face, so to speak, but it's not about me. It's about, I mean, co- collective is literally in the name of our, of our outlet, right? <laughs> um, it's, it's about how we can, you know, work together to really build this community um, of, you know, storytellers, empower people to tell their stories and, and that. And so, yeah, transitioning from the me to the we um, can be very challenging, especially if you are inundated um, with, with work. Um, But then once again, I just kind of challenge the folks uh, going through that to really just take a step back, simplify um, and figure out like what is important versus what is urgent and take the time. I know it is so hard to get past like, oh my gosh, like I have this massive to-do list and stuff. I know it's so hard to get past that, but is this like, if you don't do this one thing, what is the actual impact of that? What is the fallout right. of that? Right? Right, um, right, right, right. Could you say no? Could you may are you trying to do too many things all at once? You know, um, it's especially when you are trying to build a movement or a community, you have to be in it for the long run. You can't just right. you know, be around for a year. I mean, you could, I mean, that's, that's very different. That's like a, that's a project. A project is fine, but right. treat it as such, you know? Um, yeah. Cause 
you know, with, of all the wonderful folks doing wonderful work, like I don't want to see anyone else burn out. Like so many of us are burning. I don't want to see people burn out. Like I want to see them actively engaged. I want to see them happy. I want to see them flourishing. And I want to see them proud of the work that they've been able to accomplish and not, not get down on themselves because they couldn't check everything off their list. A hundred percent. And I love that you said that because in the episode right before this with uh, Bianca Mabute-Louis, we talk about that. We talked about this idea that the work will always be there. And even though whatever you're doing makes up a part of that work, if you have to step away, like there's comfort in knowing that, oh, I'm not in this, again, the work by myself. And like, if I need to take care of myself, then that should be the priority because I know that Natasha over here and Colty Collective is going to continue to do that work that's tangential to my own. And then I can come back fresh. I can come back ready, reinvigorated, rested in, in order to do this work and continue to move forward instead of hitting that burnout wall and then falling off and falling out for an extended period of time. I think that happens more often than not where we lose people mm-hmm. to burnout and lose people to the community work because you give it your all. And like, mm-hmm. I love that you talk about like, if it's a year or something with an end date, that's a project. Like that's not something you're looking to do long term necessarily. And which is fine, which is right. totally fine, totally valid, and that's much needed too. Yeah. But a lot of us approach that long term idea with a project mindset where we go yeah. so hard at the start, which is what I did. You know, I resonate with it because I did that at the beginning of my journey. It was just like constant all day, all night, the only thing I was thinking about, the only thing that I was really focusing on to the detriment of like my relationships and stuff like that. So it's like, you have to take a step back and also to my own Mm. personal health and mental health and well-being. It's just like, there's too much going on and it's not helping anybody to be going this hard. But there is a way where, oh, if I'm like balancing what it means to take care of myself, that also comes with, you know, learning how to then properly and appropriately take care of the community. Um, where, you know, self-care and community care marry in a, in a really nice way. You said it, my friend, I'm (laughs) going to throw that back to you. Um, or I'm going to put my interviewer, uh, hat on myself. I mean, Patrick, like the 10 episodes, that is no small feat. And just really, once again, just deeply engaging conversations with really interesting people who have a ton of knowledge and influence and impact and wonderful work that they're doing um, in their respective fields. Um, what has been, I guess, uh, a highlight or a learning or, um, you know, just just the most um, the most exciting part for you in in producing this series for the, uh, you know for the conversation piece uh, specifically the APAM conversations. Yeah, I think the most exciting part was just doing it. Um, and like following through and getting it done, uh, not only just recording the podcast conversations, but telling myself I was going to put these things on YouTube and like do short form and like actually following through and getting those things done. I'm excited in myself for doing that because I think when I look back on it, I'm like, okay, that was a lot of work. And I probably, I maybe should have done like five episodes and not 10. But honestly, it was so worth it because I talked about this a lot when we first launched the series that I felt a lot of imposter syndrome when I first said, okay, I'm going to do this and like reach out to all the people because I'm like, are anybody going to say yes? Like, why would they say yes to this? Like, this is something not related to the John Chi show, which is my already established podcast or anything like related to Jerry or anything. You know, this is totally my own thing. And to be to my pleasant surprise, everybody said yes, uh, except for one person who hopefully I'll be able to interview in the future. Um, But 
like it just it all kind of just went off without a hitch and then it's so so that's very exciting but the biggest takeaway that i've had is from is something that rick allen shared in his episode which is as of recording is coming out next monday um but he said we were talking about how we get people to recognize in our community like the the different intersections and the multiple marginalized identities that exist within our community and he said we have he said to continue is to normalize and i was like i feel like it's really simple on its face but it's just that 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 sentence has just been ringing in my head ever since he said it ever since we recorded that interview in april because i feel like it's just like that's what I've been trying to do when it comes to this narrative shift that I've been pursuing from an adoptee perspective for our community. And it's for the very fact that we for a long time have fought the normalized narrative of like adoption is only this good thing that happens to people. And instead we're like, we're trying to bring this nuance and, and whatnot. And also it makes me think about how we, um, haven't had these models for success and how we can, you know, be successful and not exploit the community. Like we have to continue to do the stuff that we're doing, what cold tea is doing, what I'm doing here with conversation piece, what we do on the John T show, because to continue to do that is to normalize and we get away from, or we move beyond the first, you know, where we're not always like you just talked about, you just interviewed the very first Chinese Canadian mayor of Vancouver in 2022 like the first <laughs> and when we when we're talking about a lot of firsts like with everything everywhere they were all at once all of that happening all of these firsts happening that just shows that we're at the beginning of this journey of normalization for what it means to be asian asian american just asian diasporic in whatever sense what it means to exist as asian in this world because we are here in 2023 still saying oh this is the first this person to do this and that's not only in our community too like we're just one now just one community of the many that make up all of this world you know all of humanity and then on top of that all of the intersections that we see like the hidden disabilities that people have you know there's a lot of intersection there and there need there needs to be representation there needs to be support for those communities and like that's on us within our own diasporas to look at and to pursue and so that's that's been my biggest takeaway is that we for as far along as we are we're still very new to normalizing what it means to exist as people and while it's really sad it's also really exciting because it's like okay let's keep going like let's let's make it happen we're doing it my friend we're doing it we're trying to, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did see. So here's the thing. I said that about myself and like what what I'm doing with Colty Collective last week to to a new friend that I'd made. Um, and he said, No, don't say you're you're trying to you were literally doing it. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. I mean okay. like, yeah, I once again that goes down to, you know, just speaking confidently. Um and you, I mean, who's to say like you're not doing it, right? It's just, you know, to who's in um criteria to whose measurement um so you're doing it and um just know that you're not doing it alone patrick well i really really appreciate you and i know that i'm not doing it alone because you very graciously came along and started decided to do this with me for this particular series and 
honestly, it just means so much because, again, that was a shot in the dark, just swinging my bat at the pitch of like, hey, do you think maybe you would want to potentially help me amplify this series? And the fact that you, the very fact that you said yes is, again, this is another exciting thing to come of this because it proof to myself that, okay, what I was doing with this series, what I was hoping to do meant something and it, it, it was worth pursuing because at least one person thought saw what I saw in the series and that was you and validating, you know, that pursuit uh, has only made me more motivated to do more stuff like this uh, with this show and know that, you know, mm-hmm. I got to continue to do these things, continue to, to, to pursue it. And yeah, it just means a lot. So I really I mean, appreciate you. Oh, oh my gosh. Like I, I was just going to say like, okay, I know you're trying to wrap it up. We're very much over time here. And like, no, you're, you're good. You're good. You're good. I feel like we could go intense, for like a strong, solid two hour podcast oh, conversation probably. for sure. Um, yeah. I don't know if the people would want that. Um, but um, I got to say like, it's, I think a lot of us look to external validation um, to, as a sign to continue on. And of course, how could we not, right? That's just how our society, yeah. our generation um, and our different layers of intersectional identities have have conditioned us to be so. But um, just know that the work that you're doing um, would have been uh, exceptional, valid, um, and important, even without our involvement or even without, you know, all these different factors. And so I think with that, it's just about having confidence in, in the, the pursuit of what calls you and the pursuit of what sets your heart on fire. I appreciate that. I appreciate those words. And I feel like that's a great wrap up because at the very beginning, you talked about hearing your calling and like you have to, you hear your calling, calling out to you. It's not you necessarily looking to find. And, you know, I do think that this was something that I heard in the back of my mind for a long time and finally just like reached out and like it, it penetrated something in my mind to be like, okay, let's, let's go ahead and do this. And so I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. Um, how do we support you and how do we support cold tea moving forward? Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, at the very base level, like share, comment, subscribe. Um, <laughs> I mean, most of our stories are on coldteacollective.com. Um, of course we're on social media as well. Um, but more than that, I mean, we are largely a volunteer driven organization. And so we do have a, a lovely yellow golden yellow, uh, donation button on our website. Um, and so if you do feel like making a contribution, even just a couple bucks here and there, or a couple bucks every month just makes a big difference for us. Um, and honestly, um, just really grateful for the connections and community we've been able to build over the years. And uh, yeah, just tell tell all your friends about us. Uh, so coldteacollective.com and at coldteacollective on social channels. You heard it here first. Well, not first, but you definitely heard it here, folks. <laughs> support Natasha and support Colty Collective. You can find all of those links in the show notes. Uh, but make sure you support to make sure that we can continue to tell these stories and build this sustainable storytelling method so we can continue to build the empathy with our communities that we need in order to make the progress that we're looking to make moving forward. Natasha, again, thank you so much for partnering with me to amplify this series and for sitting down for yourself and taking the time to have this conversation with me for the APAM conversations. It means so much. Uh, again, folks, you can find all the links to everything that we've chatted about here in the show notes, and you can follow us at conversation pod piece on Instagram. If you do feel inclined to leave us a rating or review, we would greatly appreciate it. That's on whatever podcast player, uh, allows for that to happen. 
And if you are interested in supporting the show, you can do that by getting in my DMs or contacting me via my website, patrickintheworld.me. Um, this is the end of the 8 p.m. conversations, but it's not the end of the conversation. We will have a new episode coming out next Monday, so stay tuned for that. Until then, I am Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Peace. Thanks, Natasha. Thanks, Patrick. 